The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch for reviewing of our show homes a brochure or for more information let brb homes take the stress out of your build check out brbhomes.ie why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Big News Coming Soon podcast. This week I am in my hometown of Castlebar and I'm delighted to be joined by a friend of mine and a colleague that I used to work with, Mr. David Cawley from Midwest Radio. Good morning, David. Can you imagine if we started... I'm sure that we, we should start a podcast with something that kind of catches people's ears. Yeah. So if you said, God, I, I never knew that you were a Trump supporter. <laughs> you, you love GB News. I never knew that you such a misogynist that the, you were. <laughs> there's no Trump supporters in Mayo, so we're all Biden in this county. Oh, for the last few months we've all been Biden. I, I just go down the middle, I say, I, don't, I support the man, not the, not the, not the party these days. Oh, Oh, that's just safe. Listen, thanks a million for joining me today. Ooh, I love it. Do, can, I start, can I start by asking you what age you are? You can. It's not a secret. I, I, yeah, I don't hide behind it. Uh, next March, I will be 50. Wow. Yeah. And the reason I say wow is because you actually don't look a day over 40. <laughs> and you it. genuinely don't. I'm not just saying that to blow smoke up your arse. People must say that to you, do they? Well, not that many people get to see me. When it comes to Radioland, not a lot of people would see me. I'm not as visual. But people must go... Jesus, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't expect you to look like that. I did have one situation a couple of weeks ago when uh, there was a, a couple, a, a woman sent me a text on a Monday morning to say a private sit, not for to be read on air, which is uh, how, what age you? Because I met a woman in Westport at the weekend and she reckons you're in your 20s. And I said, you definitely can't be in your 20s because he celebrated his 20th wedding anniversary back in March. So he has to be in his early 40s. And I was like, uh, try to... <laughs> 
Try late forties. And I'd say if you shaved the beard, you'd look about thirty-five. Yeah, there is, there is that. There, there is that. The so, be- what's your secret? There's no secret because the visual is very different than the reality, <laughs> and we can get to that later on. Uh, in when I did turn forty, I did become more physically active and all that, and that destroyed me. But, but I, I, it mightn't carry in my face, but it, believe me. Meanwhile, it, everyone is Googling David Cawley, <laughs> Midwest Radio now. Yeah, and a photo will come up of you 25 years ago. You've been doing the breakfast show on Midwest Radio for 25 years. Yeah. Like, are you the longest serving breakfast show presenter in the country? No. Who is? Ian Dempsey. But it must be just you and him then. He's a month a month ahead of me. He started in September ninety eight. Bastard. <laughs> How dare they I did mention this before. He doesn't have to drive thirty five miles in the morning though. <laughs> and then he doesn't have to cover the my production job until two o'clock every day. So there is a slight difference between us. But do you know an inter- an interesting fact about the whole Ian Dempsey thing was when he started that show on Today FM, I remember the big posters in Dublin. So the big advertising posters, the ones that said Look who we've poached for breakfast, okay? He'd gone from 2FM to Today FM. And I remember thinking, that was really clever. Look who we've poached for breakfast. Now, at that time in my life, September 1998, I was as far away from breakfast show radio as a man can be. (laughs) I was trying to think of something clever there. As a man can be. I don't think, genuinely, I don't think I ever heard a breakfast show. I don't think... I would know what to do at a breakfast show. So what happened three weeks later or four weeks later was a complete shock to me and my system. But did you have an interest in radio? Yes. So we have to go back in time. Right. So uh, how that all started was when I was 15 years, I was fascinated by DJs. As you were. Yeah. DJing. Big time. Oh, I loved it. The Mm. buttons. Can I just press the buttons? That's all I want. Buttons and lights. Yeah. I was fascinated. So when I was 15 years of age, there used to be a teenage disco on the welcome in. It was called Teen Scene. And the DJs would be down there and I would be stood up looking over the decks at them. Just looking at what they were doing. Constantly looking until about the fifth or sixth night, one of them said to me, do you want a job for the summer working in the disco business? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love it. So I told to my parents and said, got a job, got a job, mum and dad. Yeah, 15, got a job there. What are you doing? I'm going working for a mobile disco unit. So they said, uh, really? I said, yeah, getting a fiver a night. Five pounds of my own money. Um, so what that meant on Bonfires Night 1989, when I was 15, I went into a van to a disco in Claremores, helped set up the lights, set up the speakers, set up the decks and got to do the first play two songs together. And that was it. And this was in a town hall or something, was it? Was it was Claremores Town Hall. I remember there was absolutely feck all people there. But to me, no, it was like playing Wembley Stadium. And I was only there to help set up. Yeah. So for the next few years, I worked with the mobile disco and they were fabulous. Let's go disco. Worked with them. So mainly, so we say my friends, my buddies, to be all off out bush drinking or having the crack or going to the teenage discos or whatever they were up to. On a Friday and Saturday night, I could have been in Brafie House at a wedding. I could have been in Bell Mullet at a gig or I could have been in Ballyhornis at a night. Anywhere in the country, I could have, I was gone for my five euro just to set up the lights, be part of the, all the, that stuff. That's all I wanted to do. It took some commitment. So eventually I made the step in then to DJ. Actually, so I do the first 20 minutes, half an hour. And to David here now, I do the first hour of the disco. Yeah, yeah. And I love it. And that's all I want to do. So I, I started then moving into starting doing my own stuff. You have to earn your stripes with the DJ, don't you? You well, do. Well, we did back then anyway. Yeah. So loads of shit gigs, loads of the oh, first 20 minutes, loads of yeah. lugging gear. 
Logan Gear. Logan I think I, I hernia at the age of 16. <laughs> you know, the basements. Do you remember? They were like bigger than me. And everything was huge. Decks were huge. <laughs> yeah. Speakers were huge. Lights were huge. The lights would burn you. They would. Music collections. I remember we had a, um, a, an amplifier. And it's the best amplifier in the country. I think it was like 500 watts. But we thought we were blowing the place out of it. Yeah. Yeah, so we'd be off around. Now, the thing I didn't know at the time, and I only found out this out years later, was back then, of course, no mobile phones. So no contact. So when I got in the van, often I wouldn't know where I was going. And my poor mother used to sit on the stairs and she would wait and wait and wait and wait until the lights of the van came into the driveway to drop me back. And that could be... Sometimes it could be two o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it could be six o'clock in the morning. Sometimes if we were really far away, it could be eight o'clock in the morning. And she would sit there and then second she'd see the lights, she'd go to bed and I'd come in like the big moody owl head in me and then not get up the next day until like four o'clock yeah. in the afternoon. <laughs> Kevin and Perry go large. I remember they, 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 they said, we've to sort this out. And I was talking to the man because they got me another job. My parents got me another job and I was talking to the man who gave me that job recently. Did they not want you doing this? Because they were going like, this isn't a lifetime you know, this isn't a choice that we want a 15-year-old to make. Yeah. Is there a future in this fella doing this crack? And uh, I worked for the other guy and I worked really hard. And I was like, every day, five o'clock I'd finish, I'd go home, change my clothes and go into the discos. What was the other job? It was making trophies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's a lovely job. Right. I loved it. Um, so I, no matter what my parents were going to throw at me, I was going to stick with the DJ and stick with the discos. So yeah, it's a bug. It is. You just can't get rid of it. It is. And I started doing more and more and more and more. And then I started getting involved in nightclubs and doing that kind of stuff and uh, setting up on my own. And then I started getting into house music and all that kind of stuff. And that's, uh, that's where that journey brought me. Where I stopped then was... I started kind of wanting to have a life outside of discos. I wanted to have like, you know, go out with my friends the odd time, possibly have a girlfriend or, you know, Hmm. hold down a relationship. And I do remember I was doing a disco one night and uh, it was New Year's Eve. Always my least favourite day. I don't know. How do you feel about New Year's Eve? How do you feel about New Year's Eve? It's kind of a nothing night, isn't it? It's a scour night. Yeah. It's a scour. It always was. Yeah, I don't like it. So before 2000, it was always a big night and you'd have to start your disco at nine o'clock. And then you would, by 12 o'clock, your amps would all be blown and you'd have to go to two o'clock in the morning. And I think at the time I was not going up, but seeing, seeing a girl. And I remember DJing and looking down and I think she was tearing into some other young fella. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you couldn't see them for the oh. shifting. And I said, OK, I'm not doing New Year's Eve anymore. Oh. This is done for me. <laughs> done. So that's, so I st- stuck with the DJing until, you see, I think I did it for years, but I probably did it for five or six years. It's interesting that you got out of the house music because I was big into the dance music and the house music and I was doing these mixes at home and recording onto tapes. Yeah. And then I gave the tape to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Brendan Redmond. Yes. Who was on Midwest years ago. And then himself and Porrick Walsh yeah. listened to it and they pulled me aside and they said, the tape is brilliant, which it, it probably wasn't. <laughs> but they said, do you want to make money or do you want to be cool? There you go. And the best advice I ever got from them gentlemen was, if you want to make money, forget about the dance music. Yeah, forget about it. If you yeah. want to be cool, keep yeah, at it. Yeah. And he said, the best thing you can do now is go into Tesco or go into a downtown records it was at the time yeah. and buy now, that's what I call 1992. Yeah. And keep buying all the nows. And away you go. And that was the best. And I was a DJ for 16 years. Yeah. You, you know, um, because I, so I went down, 
I say I went down playing the dance music route, but really I didn't. So I went one night to uh, Ballinrobe, and I'll never forget because they said, we wanted a big, well, no, it's a big dance night. I think we call it a rave back then. <laughs> we want a rave, so we want you to rave. I said, yeah, that's the best idea I've ever had. So I arrived at Ballinrobe, second track in, have you any Brian Adams? <laughs> <laughs> By the fourth track, for the love of God, will you just play Brian Adams? <laughs> so I was like, okay. This isn't quite the rave I thought it was going to be. Uh, and, I, and there was another place uh, where, which had a, a venue that used to have a kind of a, a rock kind of a theme to it. So it was, it was a place where rockers went. And they were trying to change. New owners, they said, let's change this up. Let's freshen this up. Let's bring in some. So they brought me. And on the first night... <laughs> It's like, you know, Father Ted, you know, the one or where he plays Ghostbusters. It's the same record over and over. That's all I had. Oh, I have no. one ACDC. <laughs> Just keep playing it. <laughs> so, yeah, it w- I had a couple of hit, hit and miss. I had another night where um, I, I could write a book about the disco. So I had another night where I was doing a disco and it was, we won't say where it was, but it was a venue and I set it all up. And I think I had my brother with me the night. And the first fellow that came through the door, I could see him. He walked up the middle of the floor, hop up on the stage. And he says to me, I said, hello. And he grabs me, straight on the ground, foot on my head. <laughs> oh, wait. What are you at down here? You think you're taking money off us? Is that what you're doing? So Plum Austin told him that my grandfather from the area. I knew my grandfather. Oh, yeah, sure you're... Stood beside me for the whole night. I'll protect you. <laughs> no way. Is that a true story? Yeah, it's a true story, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could write the book on do you some remember, of those nights. Do you remember the worst gig you've ever done? Oh, there's a... Oh, I do. Go on. I absolutely do. And my present wife was with me. <laughs> so she witnessed this. I love these stories. It was a Debs, right? It was a Debs... Can I say where it was from? Do, yeah, go on. I think it was, I think it was from Balladrine. We've no Balladrine listeners. You're safe enough. But, uh... When they were having the dinner, right? And I remember it was it was ninety six or ninety seven because I had just come back from America and I had bought a lovely uh, corduroy jacket with the kind of a woolly f- uh, collar. I thought it was great, fancy. Right? Yeah. So notions. They said to me in the venue, they said, "Will you go up and just announce they're having their dinner? Will you just announce such and such and such or whatever you have to announce?" I don't know. So I said, "Yeah, Grant, yeah." So I walked up the middle of them, right? I should have known that things were wrong when I heard the most high. Me, me, me. So when I got to the microphone, I was completely red puce, opened my mouth, they all started making sheep noises at me. Because <laughs> you were wearing the furry collar. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I was like, oh, they're a lively bunch. They're a lively bunch, these ones now. So, so you're delighted with life with this new jacket. Yeah. So and the minute you walk into the room, they're all making bad make fun of me. Yeah. And I should have known because the, the bread had become a weapon. So I should have known that they were lively, like they were a lively bunch. They were flinging the bread at each other. It was... It it was a lively night. So I started the disco, no band, straight to the disco. I think it was about the ter- third, maybe fourth track in that they were on the stage. I have one vision and, and, and Jane, my wife, will tell you this is true. There was a girl, all I could see was the veins of her neck as she was shouting at me. I don't know what she was shouting at me, but they were they were jumping off the stage. They were baiting each other. There was women baiting women. There was women baiting men. Men bait. There was windows being broken. There was they were being thrown out. They were being let back in. I think by the fourth song, I was told, "Cut it, we're done." No way. Mm-hmm. So I said, "That's a very dangerous thing to do." I said, "I'm not doing it without security." And uh, the bouncers come up, all stood around me, and we said, "Like you know." Give you warning now. <laughs> and was it anything to do with the music you were playing? 
No, they were just lively. Yeah. You know, do you want me playing any of that stomp stuff? This I think. was before Maniac 2000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so what I did was uh, uh, we had to quit it and put on the national anthem. And as I was playing the national anthem, standing up, there was about nine people roaring at me. And the bouncers took me away and Jane came with me and we sat. Uh, I remember sitting down and we went into, there was a nightclub on, we went into that place and into the DJ box and I sat on the ground. I was going, what happened there? <laughs> I was in complete shock. That what escalated fast. There? Yeah. there was another uh, great, um, there was a fellow called Jim O'Neill. He was a radio presenter. Remember Jim yeah, O'Neill? Yeah, unbelievable presenter. So, yeah, unbelievable. When he used to travel around, like you tell people now that the national DJs were superstars. You know, the likes of Anybody who was on 2FM at the time was a superstar. Yeah. And you'd pay a fortune of money for them to come to your town mm-hmm. to stand there and play records for you. So there was one, I think it was Jim O'Neill, and he had a tradition of playing Nelly the Elephant. You know that song, Nelly the Elephant? Yeah. At the end of his night. And this particular venue, they kind of got, they knew that. So they used to go wild. So they had said to him this night, what if you do, you know, don't do Nelly the Elephant. <laughs> and he said, uh, I won't, I promise I won't, I won't. So they said, what have you done? Because you don't, because like, they'll thrash the place. He said, I won't, I won't. So you, could see, you could see it coming. You could see it building. Oh. And then he stops it. I'm sure you had uh, to play it. I'm told I'm not allowed to play that tonight. But we're going to play it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the last night he ever did. I think it was the last night for us all. Yeah. You, you are so right, though, that these presenters on 2FM were superstars. Yeah. And like they'd come down here and they'd fill the Royal Theatre and the yeah. out the... Uh, do you know what I did? When I was 15 and 16... They would come down and they'd fill the theatre and the outside broadcast unit would be outside oh, yeah. and they would broadcast live so that they, whoever was DJing in the theatre would be broadcast live on 2FM. Oh, I remember that. And yeah. I'd be sitting outside to outside the TF in the car listening to 2FM. Oh, my God. Just watching people going in and out but listening to the radio. Yeah. yeah. That's how obsessed oh, I was with yeah. radio. and Yeah, and that, that led me to, from, from my DJing, it led me to, there used to be a late night dance show, actually on, on, on the very radio station I worked for. Remember that, at two o'clock in the morning, they used to do a late night dance yeah, show. Yeah, I do remember so vaguely. At the, at the time the station used to close down, so it would finish, do the national anthem, do the prayer, yeah. gap, and suddenly you would come in with Josh <laughs> Winks. <laughs> and then they'd be like, hello, are you the devil? Because you're playing the devil's music. So it had gone from Big Tom. Yeah. Oh, you're going out the same way you came in. Yeah. Uh, and at the time I couldn't drive. So my, my dear wife, who, who deserves a lot of credit, used to drive me up there. She'd sleep on the chair while I did four hours. Of no way. Yeah. You didn't drive. No, I didn't. No, no. I your didn't wife even... drove you to all your gigs. Yeah. And actually, wow. I was doing gigs back in. Do you drive now? <laughs> <laughs> just about uh, I, I was back uh, I used to do a couple of gigs back in Westport there was a club called Rooftops and it was fabulous was, Ro- it, was it on a rooftop? no oh. but it was fabulous so what used to happen you'd set up your DJ decks here and there was a full percussion set up beside you so there was a guy on bongos and drums Yeah. whatever I played he bongoed and drummed <laughs> And it didn't, and they were like, it was, I loved it because they were into kind of rage against the machine. They were a little bit kind of. Yeah, a bit out there. Yeah, loved that. How did I get to that gig? The bus. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bus. That was it. I couldn't drive. So I didn't learn to drive until I took up this. It wasn't my wife who told me to drive and I, until I took up this job. I packed in the DJ about 10 years ago, but I used to bring the CDs around me. And I remember the last case I had held 600 CDs. Oh, my God. And it was on wheels. It was like a little suitcase on oh wheels. Oh, my God. I never went digital. I wasn't able to do it. No, either was. And look, at, uh, you know, um, we did reunion. We did do a little bit of a reunion 
for DJs about 10 years ago. We did back soon doing some 80s nights and uh, we had a fabulous, fabulous couple of nights. But we were all, one was bringing the technology and we were like, excuse me, we'll do with this. We want the records and we want yeah. the CDs. And the, like, you know your headphones when you're a DJ, like we're wearing ha- f- fancy headphones. Mine was a phone it was this part of the phone. That's right. Yeah, I remember them. That, because what used to happen was it was so loud. The handset of the phone. The handset of the phone because it was all top. There was no bottom. So when I was mixing my beats, I could hear it because it was all the top. Now, it was obviously making shit to my ears. Yeah. But it was, it was actually, so you looked like you were on the, they go, are you on the phone there? <laughs> Order me a Domino's. Um, but yeah, fabulous, and fabulous did times. did you have all the people coming up to you back then asking you like to play it next or we're leaving? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, yeah. all these stupid things. Yeah, I do remember because we were all, they, would, they used to write down their requests and you used to have to, it was like radio, you'd say, and Mary and Anne are with us from uh, wherever tonight and it's a birthday and all that stuff. It was massive. So you did your loads of microphone stuff and uh, I had kind of a set, a kind of, a, towards the end of my DJing, I had kind of a, a an end set that I would always do. So it was like nearly the same last four songs. Yeah. So there would save be... the best to last. Yeah. So what my idea was, you build it, 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 and then you drop it down. And you look and thanks, we're going home. Yeah, but what you have to do when you drop it down, you drop it down in such a way that there's no vrows or there's no fighting. So my idea was, so I used to do things like um, Born Slippy and all that. So you keep building it. And then I used to finish with this piece of music called Age of Love, which was Age of Love by yeah. Age of Love. Have a, yeah. Look it up on Spotify. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. And then when that would die... Leave it for a second and a half, and then I would bring in Nina Simone. My baby just cares for me. Oh, do 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 do. Unreal. Do, do. Calm everyone down then, and they'd all dance with each other. Mm. And then the lights would come on, and they'd go out the door, and you go. Hopefully, nobody's going to fight now. Yeah, a lot of DJs now are are playing um, traveling soldier. Oh, at the end of the night, so they'd that what's it? Yeah, Brad things and song. Oh, oh no, I don't know. Traveling, traveling soldier, the Dixie Chicks. Well, they're the Chicks yeah. now. <laughs> it's just They've the dropped chicks. the Dixies. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's uh, and it kind of works. It kind of keeps everyone down and, get, and going out the door mellow. Then apart from yeah, yeah, re- ready to box the head off somebody after yeah. we, uh, insomnia. I can't get no sleep. We tried everything, you know. We tried everything um, to make, to send people out because you're in a lot of pl- times you were DJing. You were in residential areas, so you'd want them to go out, not roaring and shouting. Yeah. So we tried everything. So we used to give out ice creams, like at the end of the night. Not not, not like. Uh, it would be an ice pop rather than an ice cream. So like they'd a be sparkler. We'd say, yeah, they're going down the town eating sparklers. They're not going to be fighting. <laughs> yeah. The other thing we used to do was play a tape, right? The tape would. So you do the thing. The lights are on. Everybody. The tape goes, ladies and gentlemen, you know, please respect our neighbours and all that kind of stuff. And in one nightclub, we uh, used to do that live, right? So <laughs> when I was sixteen. I was sent in behind a curtain with a microphone, right? Just tell them to drink up their drinks out the door and be as calm as they can. It'd be nice. To them. <laughs> so I came behind the curtain and I just, ladies and gentlemen, if you wouldn't mind finishing up your drinks now. And one night, I was getting away with this for a while. One night, this just this rather large man pulled back the curtain and he goes, it's you. And I was going, oh, I might be in a bit of trouble here. But actually, he went by me and he found the power switch and he just knocked off the power. All the lights went off. Everybody cheered. It had a great night. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I decided then, look, is this the life I want? Yeah. You know yourself now because it's very antisocial. I think every DJ has a a moment. Yeah. I was DJing in Carrigan Shannon one night. And I was doing every Saturday night in Carrigan Shannon and it was this amazing nightclub and it was so cool to be there and I opened it and I was the man yeah. at the time. <laughs> and I remember going down and all you would get is abuse from hens. 
all oh, night yeah. long. Hens, hens, hens. But the DJ box was like right at the edge of the dance floor. You had no protection. Mm-hmm. Zero protection. <laughs> and all you got was, a, and it was an oval DJ box. Mm. And you basically had abuse from every single angle mm. all night long. But that was the, that was how it ended for me down in Carrigan Shannon one night. I just got the head effed off me by this hen. And I just said, I'm done. Yeah, and that was it that night I said I'm done I'm finished and I didn't do another it can, gig it can be yeah. it can be that, that, that simple can't it yeah. be there yeah um, yeah and you didn't do how long did you take a break then for how long before about 8 or 9 years and mm. then I did Mantra there a few weeks ago oh yeah that's yeah. right unbelievable great reports um, <coughs> did so you play Footloose <coughs> oh, summer of 69 we didn't get around to playing Footloose now we did We did hope that it would be we'd play more 80s and 90s but it went a bit dancey when I got down there I think I played something like oh I don't know what it was probably beach ball or something like that and then the place you could just tell all the heads were bopping that's what they want when you just looked across and you seen everyone bopping you said right we're on to something here and we'll keep this lit yeah. I don't know about you know but I lit. I spend a lot of my time uh, listening to some dance tunes and saying I could do this again you know yeah. I, that'd be a huge you know, dance. I'd love to do that now that would be a massive tune people would love that yeah it's, you know? it's definitely something that I'm really proud of because I wanted to go back and do one more night mm-hmm. and I've been saying it for years I'd love to do one night one night one night and yeah. it just so happened then that it was like my own night, Your own night yeah. in Mantra where I used to DJ yeah. all those years ago and it was just something something incredible but there's great appetite for that for our age yeah, because like we don't go out we don't go to no. nightclubs anymore and we kind of no it, we're afraid of them we're afraid of the loud music those nostalgic nights there's a bit of appetite for them at the yeah, minute yeah 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 I was just thinking there because I worked in the other nightclub in town but we used to go to Mantra on a Thursday night it was there was great rivalry for people who don't know there was great rivalry there was two, two nightclubs nightclub. in Castlebar mm. and you were either a customer and affiliated that one yeah or a customer and affiliated the other one. Yeah. And there was no there was no. no in between. No, no, no. And in fact, when we set up one of the nightclubs, I remember the first thing we were told was, go down and put flyers on the cars around the other nightclub. Yeah. So you were a TF head and yeah. I was a welcome in head. Yeah. And there was no change in anyone. No. So, but on a Thursday night, um, I, I used to go out on the odd Thursday night and we would end up in the welcome in. Yeah. And I got thrown out one night. And this is like <laughs> a massive scandal. Your man, who's the DJ from the other place, is getting thrown out of this place. <laughs> and I was, and I, I, I genuinely, 100% was completely innocent. Yeah. I was standing there, up, do you remember those upstairs? Is it still up there? Yeah, it's still right. there, yeah. So I was upstairs and I was chatting away, having the crack. And this fella came up and I saw him come upstairs and I was going, Jeez, he looks like he's coming for me. Yeah. Right. And he comes straight over and he grabs me and says, why did I, why did you pour a pint on me? And I, I, I didn't pour a pint on anybody. And the next thing I was being lifted by the two fellas wearing the tuxedos and put out. Now, there was a barman there one that night and uh, he apologised to me and he said, you'll never, he said, you'll never pay for anything in here again if you ever go. I said, well, I'm done. Oh, Jesus, I can't come back in here again. Wow. And what people don't know is the bouncers back then they were wearing their tuxedos. These were all big, huge farmers. Big men. Weren't they? Shovels of hands. They were shovels of hands. Big farmers. They might have been doing a bit of plumbing during the day. They would absolutely eat you up and spit you out. And I remember... uh, in the teenage disco years, um, if if they caught you like spitting, oh really? Oh Jesus! Yeah, if spitting game. now was two ears out the door. Game over. Yeah, game over. It was it was a different time. My earliest memory of a teenage disco was the town hall in Castlebar, and it was ran by the local priest. Yeah, and there was no shifting or there was none of that crack. <laughs> no, you get a thump in the back of the lug if you were shifting somebody over in the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to do. I've, I've did a couple of uh, town hall discos in my time, and it was a strange, st- strange. It time. was strange. You're doing a disco, and the priest is walking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, yeah, and it was. You had to go through them to book the hall. 
yeah. the time. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, it was different times. There's no doubt about it. Let's different. get back to the radio yeah. then. So you're talking then, you were saying you were seeing the big billboards of Ian Dempsey around and then three weeks later something happened. Yeah, so I had gone to uh, study radio. I went to Dunleary College of Art and Design in Dublin. And actually back to where I, when I was a small child, we spent, uh, I spent two years, three years as a child in Dean's Grange uh, in Dublin when my dad was working for the post office. And I actually ended up going back to college there in Dunleary. I don't know what it's called now, but it was called the College of Art and Design. And I did two years of a radio course in there. Now, did I learn anything? Nah. There was one lecturer, his name was Brendan Balfe. He was a, an RTE legend. And I learned a lot from Brendan. Um, he was great at, as he used to say, he used to pick a spot in the wall and tell you the truth. So, you know, we'd be on the radio saying, uh, welcome back. And he'd say, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you welcoming back for? So they're not gone anywhere. Yeah. It's you that went away. They didn't go away. And so he, he was giving us the rules of radio so that you could break the rules of radio. So I learned from him. But the rest of it, I mean, th- look, there was 26 in my class. And the head cat, the guy who was over the course, called me Paul for two years. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I was going like, I told him, like, you haven't even the respect to call me by my right name. So... Uh, but anyway, I passed the course, fine. came home thinking, I'm going to be the next Jerry Ryan. I'm going not working for no local radio station. No. Yeah. I, of course, that didn't happen. So I was, uh, I had made a documentary um, as part of the college and the local community radio asked me, could they play it? And I said, yeah, of course you can. And I was walking by the local community radio one day and Henry Midlade came out to me and he said, uh, why don't you come in here, do a bit of voluntary work, get a bit under your belt, learn how to use the radio stuff. He said, you never know, Down there could be a scheme down, you don't know. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I'll do that. So I learned more in the first week there than I had learned in two years in college. The first time you go on air, really on air, I'd learned so much. And uh, so I used to do sound up and all that kind of stuff for, for community radio. And I got to meet lovely people like Nan Monaghan, who was the first adult ever to treat me as an adult. I always say that about Nan. Yeah. She... She, from the first day ever she used to call me son or grandson but she, tra- she treated me an equal as an equal and that was just so unusual and uh, loved my time there spent two years there and then I went to Galway Bay your old stomping ground mm-hmm. and I spent about a year there doing Sunday evenings and then a gap came up in Midwest and suddenly I got a call to say look we're thinking of doing something with the breakfast show this was October 98 and I was like breakfast show that couldn't Breakfast. be a worse idea for me. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't think of anything worse. So I'll be getting home at four and then I'll have to go to work. Yes. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a no from me. It's a no from so me. So what did you say? So I said, uh, you know, at the time we were trying to make plans. I would have been, look, 98, 6 and 4, 24. I was 24. So um, we were beginning to make plans, Jane and I. Jane wanted to come back from Dublin to Castlebar. She wanted to move home. And I said, you know, I don't know where this is going or what's going to happen, but she will give it a go. So I went up, met the bosses. Have you any ideas? It was Midwest, Northwest at the time. I think we should do this, I think we should do that. And I said, not sure about that, no. I tell you what, do a week and we'll see how we get on. And I said, all right, let's try a week. So I couldn't drive. So my, my lovely and wonderful best supporter of my life. Oh, my, my God. Yes. My daddy had to bring me to Ballyhonas. And he used to sit outside in the car. So Ballyhonis is what, 40 minutes from your house? Yeah, 40 minutes, yeah. yeah. So firstly, I was worried about waking up. You know, you're going, oh, geez, I've never... I, uh, what age are you here when daddy's bringing you to work? 24. Oh my God. So uh, we said, we need to write this really quickly. Now, in the meantime, Jane had been teaching me how to drive. She had a car and she was teaching me how to drive, but I just didn't have a car. Yeah. And she was in Dublin still. So he said, I'm going to bring it. We went out to Ashton Corcoran. You know, your my own, neighbour. Your own neighbour. Yeah. Ashton, this Ned needs a car. 
and he needs it today. He needs a car. So the the nineteen eighty eight Toyota Starlet was bought that evening. <laughs> he had the red one, and I started driving to Ballyhonas from then on, and that was twenty five years ago this October. Excellent. Yeah, and there's you know there's so many stories that go with that. You brought back a, a flashback to me there of Nan Monaghan, and I, I I completely forgot about Nan Lord of Mercy on her. She was in CRCFM in Castlebar, and you're a hundred percent right. If you were fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years of age, wet behind the lugs, she treated you as an equal. Yeah, and she respected you and respected the work you did in there. And people, Absolutely. people, I don't think give community radio the credit it deserves because, mm-hmm. like you say, you had gone to college and you didn't learn anything, and then you come back to a community radio. And you get to do everything. Everything. And you get to make the mistakes without yep. anyone jumping down your throat. Yeah. It's the best place anyone can learn. It is the best. You know, somebody said to me once, once you turn on a transmitter, it doesn't matter where it is. These days, your phone is your transmitter. Somebody's watching or somebody's listening. Mm. And it was absolutely, I completely agree with you. And I always say to people who, and it's there's not so many people now saying, I want to do it. Like at the time now, I'd have walked naked over glass to read the death notices. Yeah. You know. And, but it just wasn't happening for me. So I always say to people when they come in, I say, if you if you really, truly want this, go to community radio and that'll knock the edges off you in seconds because yeah. they're very professional in the way they do things. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous. And I really loved my. I was only there two years. I loved it. Every second of it. When I was in CRCFM and they're so vital, like we're so lucky. We have one down in Eris. We have one in Ballina. We have one in Claremorris. We have one in Castlebar. And I was working in the one in Castlebar and CRCFM. And a man called one day and there used to be a receptionist for like an hour a day yeah. and they were on some FOSS scheme yeah. and they had to come in and do this hour or else they didn't get their money. Yeah. And one day the phone rang whatever time the receptionist was there and she comes into me and she didn't want to be there. She was only ticking a box. I, yeah. had, I had to go in and answer this phone for an hour a day or don't get paid. So she sends me a message. This man rang and he said, you're a mighty bit of stuff and keep it up. Who was it? Go on. Michael Commons. Oh, <laughs> So Michael Commons was driving from somewhere and I was in covering for someone yeah. playing mud, tiger feet and he rang in CRCFM and he said, that young presenter is brilliant, tell him to keep it up. And it was Michael Commons who drove me on to do radio then for the next... And you see, people don't realise um, when they do these little things, small yeah. little things, yeah. the differences it makes. When I was in CRC, at the time now... I wouldn't have been, um, I mean, I think on my 21st birthday, I had my first panic attack, right? And I didn't, back now, that's, you know, panic attacks weren't were talked about then. No. The anxiety wasn't talked there about was back no then. There's no ADHD or no, anxiety. I'd, no, I'd been burning the candle at both ends, not eating right, smoking too many cigarettes, staying up late, and, you know, generally bad all round. Yeah. I was coming on the train home from Dublin on my 21st birthday, and I got to Clara, and I had a full-blown panic attack. Never had one before in my life. So obviously thought I was dying. So I was nearly taken off the train in that loan. It was that bad. What was it for? What was it about? It, well, you see, that, see, I didn't know. Mm. It was just, uh, I'd say it was a combination of stuff. I'd say it was college. I'd say it was not eating right. I'd say it was not sleeping right. I'd say it was uh, pressure, final exams, personal life, probably not going, a couple of kicks in the arse for women in my life. Bit kind of um, not do, no confidence in myself, uh, and I think this all just kind of came together. But it was a massive shock to me. Didn't know, never heard of one before. Now at the time, you have to figure, Alan, that I was like I had long hair, I was very skinny, very skinny. I looked like a lad who'd been taking a lot of drugs, right. but I had never taken any drugs in my life. Absolutely ran away from anything like that. Smoked, yes, smoked cigarettes out me lugs, but never did anything else. And uh, 
came home off that train that day. I remember my parents meeting me off the train that day and I thought I was dying. Like I said, I've had an episode. It's huge. Something's happened. There was a man on the train. He worked on the train and he talked to me that day. I'll never forget. He talked to me the whole way from Athlone to Castlebar as I was lying on a table going, I don't know what's going wrong with me. I don't know what's going And he was looking at me. He said, uh, it, it, it's the Irish way. He said to me, the very same thing <laughs> <laughs> happened to me one day. I was at a wedding. I was sitting there and suddenly I couldn't breathe and the sweat was coming out of me. So you're lying on a table thinking you're dying yeah, and yeah. he's reciting an episode yeah. that he had. And he was, through that, he was actually calming me down. Yeah. So when I came home, so at that, I went back to, I'll never forget, I went back to college thinking, ah, it was one episode. It's never going to happen again. It happened like, the, that was the Friday, it happened the Sunday. And uh, I was back in college and um, I, 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 I always say that your friends, your family are the most lovely people in the world. But sometimes your friends are the people you really, really need. And I have six or seven friends that I've had since I was four years of age. And they will still be standing beside you when the shit hits the fan. Or they'll be the first to kick your hole when you're being a fool mm. or give you advice. Or They're, they're always there. Always there. We've, you know yourself, you have WhatsApp groups with them, still calling each other the same names we did when we were 15. I say to my kids now, the questions you're asking your friends now, I'm still asking mine at 50, you know. But anyway, um, so they went back up to them and I remember one of them saying to me, we're going to the doctor tomorrow now and we're going to sort this out, whatever it is. And at the time, again, no Google. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know what's happening. Went to the doctor. Doctor kind of figured straight away, OK, this fella's having a bit of anxiety attacks. So I remember he gave me a jar of tablets, little little thing of tablets and I remember going leaving that office going I'm never ever ever going to take one of them <laughs> I don't want to be a person who has to do that Yeah. so I carried them in my pocket for like a year by the time the year was up they were mush never took one of them said nope I'm going to try and battle this a different way I definitely don't want to go to the tablet route so again my biggest supporter I said you have to reach out every now and then and say I need help with this you know I don't really know what's going on so my dad said well we'll sort this out whatever it is we'll sort it out and I began my journey then through anxiety which was at 21, you know, and uh, did a bit, did forms of everything to try and sort it all out, give myself a bit of confidence, did a bit of cognitive work, which was work. And I was going, no, I don't want to work. I just want this to work. I want to just feel like me again. Uh, and the cognitive stuff where you have to write, you know, write stuff down, challenge your thoughts and all. I was like, oh God, this is way a bigger hole than I thought it was. I thought it was like... Where did you learn that cognitive stuff then? Or where did you see it? Or oh, how? I had to go to see a person. Really? Yeah, and at the time now, you like, these days, it's... There was know, no seeing people back no, then. No, there was nobody no, to see. No, There was no open doors or somebody saying, ah, oh, yeah, come in here. And doctors were straight away giving you a tablet. So it, it was my dad had to go and find somebody. And yeah. I found a person who worked with me for a few weeks, gave me exercises. I said, oh, this is beginning to make a little bit more sense. It probably sounded like witchcraft back then. Yeah. This person telling you to and do these exercises. At the time, of course, you don't want anybody to know because no. you, you, you can't. it was just have a cup of tea there and walk yeah, it off yeah why don't you have a pint yeah you know you feel you know I used to say to people they they don't understand how you feel behind your eyes mm. you know and now I know you look at people now you, nobody knows what's going on in anybody's life you know um, and has it gone away never it's always been there simmering along and you know when we talk about 25 years of breakfast radio probably because of that that's the reason why I'm probably there 25 years as well. Because that lack of confidence is, or that bubbling always underneath thinking, you're not good enough now. Someday they're going to catch you out. You know that, that kind of feeling all the time. Wow. You're running on high anxiety all the time. So anyway, did that journey, but it was CRC, that solved an awful lot for me. 
and it gave me the confidence to go on. It gave me the confidence to go on to Midwest to start our breakfast show. It gave me the confidence to get married and all that kind of stuff. And it, like, it resurfaced every now and then, you know, uh, birth of my first child resurfaced then for a little while. Bit of stress going on. Um, did a different form of, st- you know, I would try anything at this stage. So it did breathing exercises, which are fabulous. Tried a different kind of forms of therapy. Um for myself, didn't tell anybody, just did these things on my own, own just for myself. Mm. And I found out what works for me when I turned 40. And that was getting a little bit fitter. That was, for me, it was exercise. Doing a bit of running. Get, get out and do something. You don't strike me as a smoker. You don't look like a smoker. Yeah, well, you know, I smoked until I was 27. And my boss, Paul Claffey, is the reason I stopped smoking. Because at the Christmas party um, when I was 27... He, I was standing there with me, me cigarette, and he said, "Jesus, you you smoking long?" And I said, um, "Yeah, I was smoking since I was 13. And he since says, "Since you were thirteen, yeah, yeah." Did yeah. your parents know? Yeah, they well, oh they, my god, they, they, they didn't. They did, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, smoking away. Like it was so funny because when I go off to do the discos at night, I'd leave, bye, mum and dad. Come back at the end, like, oh, you mum and dad. <laughs> Twenty major, major. smoked at that stage in a packet of hand. Yeah, and he said to me at the Christmas party, he said, "I tell you what," he said, "I'll do a bet with you. You go from the first of January to Easter Sunday without smoking." And I remember this clearly in my head. He said, "I'll give you three hundred pounds because it was pounds at the time." Three hundred pounds. Yep. That was like a week. That was like. A month's wages. It was a lot of money. Yeah. So that was 2000. And, so we, we went to Euro that January 1st. Mm. So it, we continued on anyway. I, I got to the 1st of January. I said, sure, look, at it. I'll give it a go. And I worked in the cycle of threes. Three minutes, three hours, three days. That's the way I looked. So I said, oh, you've gone three days. You're not going to go back three days. Keep just going to three, 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 three. You used to love a cigarette on the way home from work in the car. Swap that for an apple. And said, right, okay. So that's that habit done. Kept going, kept going, kept going. Finally got to my three months, got to Easter Sunday, was off the cigarettes and went, that is brilliant. Didn't see me £300. <laughs> so we were at, uh, the following June, which would be a couple of months later, we were at a colleague's funeral and we were standing waiting and a couple of people lit up cigarettes and my boss said to me, oh, did you ever do that thing with the cigarettes? And I said, yeah, I give them up. And did, did I ever pay you? And I said, no, you didn't. No way. Yeah. And he said, hold on, no. And he went to the pocket, ruffling around, ruffling, shuffling, puffling. And it was 300 euro at the time. Because it had gone from pounds to... I thought I got robbed a bit there. <laughs> Hang on till I do the calculations here. You owe me 347 euros. Yeah. And never, and that was it. And he paid up? Yeah, that was it. Never and you smoked, never smoked since? Never smoked since, yeah. Well, fair fuck so to him. people always say that. How did you give up the cigarettes? I say it was my boss who did it, yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. And best decision I ever made. One of the best decisions I ever made. I made a lot of good decisions. A lot of bad decisions. A lot of good decisions. Uh, and that was certainly one of them. And then I think that led to... Because at the time, like, cause married, small kids... Bit of weight put on. Not very physical. Mm. Breakfast show catching up on me. This does happen. And I know, you, this, I'm interested to hear what you, because you, how long did you do breakfast show for? Oh, I, I could only do it for two years. So, you're, I, the, 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 what you, the plan is that you deliver the package every morning, right? Yeah. Hap, there's that happy fucker. Look at him there now, smiling. Every morning. How are you on there? First question, how are you so happy every day? Yeah. And the reality is that you're not, right? So You're performing. You're performing. A lot, a lot of the time... If you get to the level where people think you're you're doing your job right, but it, it, sometimes it can take a lot out of you. So you, you know, I've talked to this other breakfast show presenters. You could be physically exhausted by the end of one when you're really struggling to find something. Sometimes it comes up. It's like a podcast. Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, we should do this forever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes 
it's just it can be it can be hard and it can be difficult. Times of the year you're looking facing roads and dark mornings and all that. it can be difficult. So when I was in the, we say in the noughties, you'd come home from work at half two or three, small babies in the house, nobody sleeping right, and you're beginning to put on a bit of weight. And the next thing, you know, you start finding yourself being cranky for no reason. I kind of you, you find you say nasty things to people and you don't mean them. Or even a bit of road rage, and you're like, "What are you? Yeah. What are you at pulling out there, you bollocks?" And, <laughs> and then you say to yourself, "Hang on now a second. Why did I get ticket him pulling out of a junction?" So am I passive aggressive? Is there a bit of anger coming out of me here that's leaking out? So I'm the nicey, nicey, nicey Mac fuck on the radio in the morning, and suddenly I'm the angry, angry going home, angry. Yeah. So I said, uh, "Okay." So I don't. I didn't know what the answer was, and the next thing, lo and behold, I think it was 2010, the Mayo Pink Ribbon Cycle. Uh, it had started the year before I think mm. and Tommy Marin was on the radio with me one morning and I swear off the top of his head he just goes why don't we do the pink ribbon cycle and I said what? <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse yeah what are you talking about? <laughs> sure, well, I haven't cycled since I was 13 or 14 <gasps> yeah yeah we'll do the pink ribbon you're, you're signing up you know the way you be you just go okay but do we have to do how long is it? and he's 100 kilometres but look we'll do the first bit so we'll get our you know we'll go to Baal we'll cycle from Castlebar to Baal 10 miles maybe clear Morris if we're feeling good throw the bike in the van and we'll come back home and it, it'll just be a thing to get people moving and to get and I was like okay yeah no to be fair to him he's always he's always very good like that getting yeah. fundraisers going and getting, yeah pushing yeah, yeah. And, and making you push you out of your comfort zone which I think is is, is a massive thing so yeah. I said I don't have a bike thinking that this is how I'll get out of it right. I don't have a bike Cycle shop says We'll give you a bike Oh no So bike arrives The next day I honestly Alan I did about uh, I think I did 12 kilometres Was the most I had done And myself Tommy and Petrina Took to the roads On that faithful May morning And we ended up Doing the whole 100 kilometres With no practice Very little Right And I remember Because we came in At Balavari And we had And anybody who knows Balavari to Castlebar We used to call it The wind tunnel Right because oh. So we got to Balavari and Tommy shouted, this is easy. It's not quite what he shouted, but he's in there. But by the time we got to the roundabout in Castlebar, he was like, that was not easy. <laughs> so couldn't walk for a few days after. It was horrendous, the pain. But I kept the bike and I did a bit of cycling and a bit of cycling and a bit of cycling. And then it became my thing. So I started doing a bit more cycling, a bit more cycling, doing the pink ribbon every year. Kept my fitness levels up, dropped a bit of weight, felt better about myself. And then and when I turned 40, I started doing a little bit of running. It's just a small bit of running. A little bit of running. Kilometre here, kilometre there, kilometre there. Ended up doing, uh, I got up to 20 kilometres. Oh, massive. Friday night, delighted. Head off, 20 kilometres. Come back home, pizza, cook, lovely. Felt great. Body gave way. So now I do a bit of cycling. Uh, not a lot, uh, but a bit of walking. Do you remember the bike shop that gave you the bike? It was Pather, yeah. Pather, Pather Leonard. Mm. Another Snugborough legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he was in Pather came and he said, there, you've no excuse now. Thanks, Pather. It's a wonder he didn't send you an invoice six months later. <laughs> no, but I did buy the bike. Oh, did you? I did. Yeah. I bought the bike. Oh, yeah, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. No, I did. And I still have it. Um, and, you know, I'm one of those people now that I, I do, I'm not in a cycling club. And if I do go cycling, which I haven't done in quite a while, I could be 20 kilometres from home going, Jesus, I hate this. <laughs> I just want to be home. So when I was doing the breakfast show in Galway Bay FM, I was getting up at the same time as you around four o'clock in the morning, but I had to drive to Galway. Yeah. And it was the drive that was... Killing you. Killing you. Because you had an hour done in the morning of concentrating in bad weather and yeah. bad roads. And then and then what people don't realise is in breakfast radio, you don't have a producer. No. You're, you're doing everything yourself. Yep. 
and then you do your show for two or three hours and then you have other jobs to do yep. to clock up your eight hours. You ain't walking home. Like no, you're, you're not walking out the door. You're not going out the door at five past nine saying good luck and fuck you. Good luck now. Yeah. You yeah. have to go in and do production or yeah. you have to do marketing. The or real job. Whatever yeah. job until one or two o'clock and then go home. And then go home, yeah. And then you're feckin' bollocks. Yeah. And then you're going to bed at eight or nine o'clock. What yeah. time do you go to bed at? So um, it, it took a while for me to find my my uh, my schedule. So I go to bed now these days. I might bring uh, my tablet with me and go up to bed at about uh, half nine. And I might watch a bit of telly until ten. And then uh, luckily I sleep okay, which is good because I've gone through the phases with the no sleep, which yeah. is horrendous. That's horrendous. Mm. When you go through those patches, they're horrendous. Uh, but then what I do is on a Friday afternoon, when I go home from work, I go to bed for an hour. And I wake up from that feeling like a pig, but I go outside, do a bit of walk and whatever, then I feel great. Saturday, I feel fine. Saturday night, I could do whatever. Sunday morning, no matter where I've been on Saturday night, up you get on Sunday morning at seven. To get back into the routine. Or else you won't sleep Sunday night. And you're doing that for 25 years. Yeah, and no restaurants, no cinema, no pub during the week, no meeting up with the lads, no indoor soccer, none of that during the week. Because the commitment is, the responsibility is that you have to be there. So... That's the, that's. I was given that job 25 years ago Your job is to be the first voice on the radio at 7 o'clock in the morning And I've taken that seriously ever since Has there ever been a time where you said I'm not doing this anymore? Yeah And what pushed you on then to keep doing it? The, 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 there's lots of reasons um, I would say um, in December, in December 2003 Actually five years into it I thought I couldn't do another one Not another one and I, I, I told them, I said, you know, uh, done now, done now, can't do any. Uh, and then I suppose, then it kind of eased off again. Kids came around, that made it all right. I don't know, Alan, but there has been like, you know, I, I stand there and there has been an odd Sunday evening where I've stood at the bottom of the stairs going, I, I can't do this this week. Yeah. I just can't do it. I need a break. I remember the exhaustion of only doing it for two years. And I remember just being physically and mentally Drained. Completely exhausted. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. No. I just can't physically do it. Yeah. So that leads me on to the next question. So why do we do it? Mm. Right. So what drags you through those times? Because then I would start thinking, like, if I was on that downward pattern of why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to my body over half my life now at this stage? So why am I doing this? What's my legacy? What's your legacy? So if you're if you're a builder, you build that house. You can bring your kids to that house and say, I built that house. I built that house. Yeah. I fixed that. I did this. So if you're in radio, the words you say disappear, never to be heard again. When you work making radio ads, you come in on the Monday or the first day in January, you press delete, they all go and we go, we start again. So sometimes you go, well, what am I doing or what am I leaving behind her? So you just go, Jesus, you know, is this making a difference to anybody or what am I at? And every now and then you get something that tells you it is making a difference to people. And as we celebrated 25 years there a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got one message from a listener. It actually came in. It didn't come. It came in later in the day. It didn't come in. It didn't come in for me. It actually was sent to somebody else. But it was passed on to me afterwards. And I think, you know, because I always said in my mind for the last three years, I get to 25, see where we are, see where the body is, see where the mind is. And I haven't decided yet. But this person said, uh, I love the tribute you did for David this morning. Blah, 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 blah. I hate blowing smoke up my own hole. Um, You know, I've had a few... And they put in expletives, years, 
with bereavement in my family and there were days I didn't want to creep out from underneath the duvet but once David came on in the morning with his lovely, cheerful, positive, lively disposition he did my broken heart at the world of good and I'll never forget him for that. So he's so suited to that show, blah, 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 blah. So if you see David today, give him a special nod and maybe even a hug for me. Lord Almighty, do not mention my name on the radio again, thanks. <laughs> ah, that's lovely. That is lovely. And, and, and I'm not blowing smoke up your arse but you are very easy to listen to and you've always been very easy to listen to and... You know, you don't, you don't try, you don't try too hard. No, no, no. You just, you're, you're, you're just yourself for the two hours, and yeah. you're, you're a bit of crack. You just be who you are. Yeah, yeah. And some days it flows off you. I don't know about you. You see, I, I, it's the social media thing. I mean, I, I'm in awe of of people who work in in the social media business because I mean, I have a Twitter account with a couple of thousand followers, and I joined TikTok by the way. Did you? Uh, yeah. So you went, you went straight from Twitter to TikTok. I got to TikTok. I you bypassed Facebook, Instagram, oh, Bebo. Well, I was MySpace. on. I was on Facebook <laughs> until the 9th of February, 2019, and I came off it and never went back on it again. And Instagram, I just know I'd spend my life on it. Yeah. Um. So, but TikTok, kind of, I was like, oh, but I haven't posted a video because I would, I would overanalyze everything. Yeah. Does that happen? Oh, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Like, and even with you on about the no sleep and like, it, there's savage anxiety that comes up being on social media that people don't understand. Yeah. And I, I, I can't switch off like from that. I can't. I can't upload something and leave it there and let it do its own thing. Like, I have a video lately. Your dog stops when he hears a car. Yes. And my dog does the same. And I put up a video lately of Cookie doing it. And sure, Jesus, I'm getting... The amount of DMs I'm getting saying that I don't know how to train a dog. The dog could get a fright by something in the bush and jump out in front of a car. This dog is 15 years old, has walked that road every day for the last 15 years. Yep. There's no one that knows that dog better than me. Yep. But that last message before you go to sleep will will kind of sit in your head bubbling away there for a few mm. hours or the first one you read when you wake up and you'll be like oh Jesus yeah. you know that, so for me like even I was saying I'm going to do something clever for me TikTok I don't have anything clever in me <laughs> I, I, I would be thinking that I'm going to a lot of the stuff that happens particularly on my radio show and I'm sure you're the same it's organic it happens you go oh I'll do that now Yeah. so I'm one of those people that if you told me I had to stand in front of 5,000 people tomorrow morning I would shit my bricks all night tonight and overthink about it and then not do it. But if you told me that there's 5,000 people outside here now, there's a microphone, I'd do it now. If I didn't have to overthink it, I'd just do it. Yeah. So when it comes to social media, I'd have to hit the post. Because I would do, I, certainly uh, when doing podcasts or when you're doing your radio show, i sit afterwards going, could you have done that better? So where do you draw the line on the doing that better? Yeah. When yeah. is enough enough? No, you're definitely your own worst critic, aren't you? Yes. All the time. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, yeah. I could have done better there. Yeah. And the reality is a lot of people don't give a shite. Don't, well, particularly in radio terms, they don't notice. I spoke about this on a podcast years ago. Or I, can't, I can't even remember which one it was, but I remember I've worked in Shannonside Radio. I've worked in Galway Bay FM and I've worked in Midwest and I've worked in community radio stations. There's something different about Midwest radio listeners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They let you away with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> they let you away with nothing. So... Uh, you know, you can be on Galway Bay FM at seven o'clock in the morning and you can say something completely outrageous and no one gives a shite. Yeah. Genuinely, no one gives a mm. shite. You come down to Ballyhonis and you go in there and you say something at ten past seven. Well, the screen will light up. <laughs> and then you're shitting it. Tommy Maron's coming through the door at eight o'clock. Is he going to have heard that I've said that? Or has he got, has he got a text or has something happened? They let you away with nothing. No. And there was one morning I had the privilege of filling in for you many mornings yeah. and... I really enjoyed it. But there's one listener. There's one listener that lets you away with nothing. No. 
And is really disappointed Every time you take a day off Every time you take a day off It's like oh David's off So yeah. that's grand And look at it's hard enough to Do this job You're yeah. getting up at 4 o'clock You're driving to Ballyhonas You're trying to get into the zone You're trying to be the best person You can be And you're trying to Do a safe job In your own head You're like right I want to do a good job That David's proud of me But I also want The listeners to be happy with me yeah. And I want the boss to be happy mm. And you have all these things Going on in your head mm-hmm. And ultimately You're just filling in and you're trying to keep your listeners happy until the Friday, until you come back on the mm-hmm. Monday. Mm-hmm. That you're not getting a load of text messages on Monday saying, Christ, Thank God you're back. who was that book? <laughs> so I remember going in one morning and the first thing we do is you, the news comes on at seven o'clock. And then the first, the first time we're on air is we're reading the weather. And the screen is here on your left and the WhatsApps are there. And I remember looking at the weather going, this morning will be bright and breezy and blah, blah, blah. And I'd say three words into the weather. <laughs> Message on the screen. When's David back? <laughs> <laughs> and you have to go and do two hours. <laughs> which, no one. With your confidence on the ground. Your confidence is on the floor. All you've said is, today will be bright and breezy. <laughs> and the first thing, that person had it wrote. They had yeah. it wrote. They knew you weren't going to be there. They had it wrote. They are waiting to send. I'm going to wait until this fucker starts talking. <laughs> the weather jingle in. Bang. That's yeah. you for the rest of the day mm. now and your confidence is shot we have um, so many um, um, it's the Midwest Radio the radio I, I work for that I'm lucky enough to work for as, as you know uh, and you've met, it's, it's more than a radio station for people so for example I'll give you an example of how and, and for your listeners from around the country who don't understand this whole thing is how important the radio station is so if there was a storm right so there's a stormy night and I get to work at whatever six o'clock in the morning and I just know that there's people there and they, they're they nervous and they're uh, whatever. So I say, I'll go on a bit earlier. You know, I don't normally start my show till seven. So I'll come on at t- ten past six. And I'll just go and I'll say, good morning. It's David here. I'm a little bit earlier than usual, but I just, bang, scream will absolutely light up. I'm yeah. going, thank God the, we heard a voice. All we needed was a voice. Can we just spend a bit of a, a few minutes on this? Because I think an awful lot of people and a lot of my listeners take radio for granted and they listen to Today FM and I Radio and 2FM. And it's just there. It's just noise in the background. Midwest Radio is the authentic, original radio in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Midwest Radio and Highland Radio, they're on a, they're on a par and they're there for the community. Yeah. They're there for the people. They're a friend. Yeah. And they're providing a service way more than just advertising and music. Yep. And what people don't realise is when there's a storm, two or three days in the build up to the storm, our bosses are gone off making sure there's diesel in generators, yep. making sure that no matter what happens during this storm, we stay on. We're on air, and mm-hmm. that's the priority. If it means sleeping in the chair, and it, and it has been sleeping, sleeping at your desk, it has happened. It has happened. Yeah, it's it's it, it is that incredible contact. For example, um, when they ring, they ring. They're not so when the electricity goes in a place, they ring us. Yeah. They don't you go did you ring the ESB? But your my earliest memory of you would be going to school on a frosty morning. Oh yeah. And you'd be tuned in to David and you'd be texting, <laughs> Is St. Charles still open? <laughs> Is Snugborough School still open? And you'd be there waiting and uh, you'd be listing out the schools. Listing them out. This morning, St. Pat's is closed, mm-hmm. St. Teresa's is closed, St. Mary's is closed. Yeah. And you're just there waiting and for your school to be read out. And the funny thing about it is if if you didn't mention the school, they've never forgotten it. So I meet people in their thirties now going, Oh yeah, Drum Gallon, I've got the day off. <laughs> But there was a fella, there was, I used to say, if there was a sniff of frost in the air, when I would reach the studio, there would be a fax from one particularly secondary school. They were closed. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, at the second, really? they were going. Oh, I could I, I could see two faxes. One was the weather. One was this school saying the, we're remain closed today. The, the principal in there didn't give a shite. Didn't give a shite, and they were probably right. But it is. It's. It's a. Uh, this is before text messages, before oh yeah, yeah. social media. There was no WhatsApp groups. We or had to find out through the radio. The radio, yeah. And the other thing was, you know, no matter what, the, and I'm sure it was like that for you in Galway, no matter what the road conditions were like, or what the most snow there was, you had to get there because you had to be that voice. Yeah. So uh, there were mornings like, I don't know how I got through some of the mornings, 2009, 2010, not sure how we made it. Yeah. Um, you know, in one way, it was the lovely to hear you on the radio. The other way, people used to say, ah, Christ, he made it. Yeah. So now I have to get up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no, and then, you know, we had a, not a weather, but when we had the pandemic, the radio found itself in a totally different area. Again, it became really important to people to be a friend, a voice. I mean, I don't think people from the rest of the country would know how important it became during the pandemic, during lockdown. Um, you know, the, our boss has said, right, we're dividing everybody up. All presenters will be divided up. David, you go to Castlebar. Tommy, you go here. Uh, you go to there. You go all different studios so that nobody's with each other. But the most important thing we do is we keep going. We do everything as we normally do. People mm. keep them and just keep people. They want to hear a voice. They want to feel normality. And I think reflecting on that now a few years later. That was a massive, massive, massive bonus for the radio station. For uh, It's not in listenership or advertising. That's in just people's goodwill towards you. Because you were there. You were yeah. a voice. I was broadcasting from uh, my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. They, they gave you me, did, yeah. yeah. They gave me a unit and a microphone. And I, every day I'd take the mattress off my bed and stand it up behind my desk. Yeah. And I was there in my bedroom broadcasting yeah. with a mattress standing behind me. It's, 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 it, that, that part was amazing. So, you know, um, when people say, what did you do during lockdown? We worked. Yeah. Everybody worked. We kept continuing working because you had to. And the days we were going to Ballyhonest then, there'd always be a checkpoint in Bohola. Every day this, this COVID checkpoint was oh. there. And you'd get to the checkpoint and he'd say, oh, how are you? Oh, you're, you're going getting, to Midwest? Yeah. Because you had to stay within your five kilometres. Yes, that was right, yeah. And we were essential workers. We were essentially. You, you did feel like I think looking back now, I think the whole COVID thing was a feckin' disgrace the way we handled it. But during that time, you had a great sense of pride mm. saying, I'm going to work. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be that voice on the radio. And whether we were only going into Ballyhonest to go making banana bread for the crack, yeah. <laughs> thousands of people were coming along making banana bread with us. And mm -hmm. I remember one day uploading this banana bread recipe and looking at all the clicks it got. And by the time we had come off air, three and a half thousand people. I clicked I on to the recipe of this banana bread that Jerry Glennon was making in the morning. And that's that's real radio that I feel privileged to have to been a be part, part of. of yeah. Because yeah. you don't get that in other stations. No, no, you're, no. You're no. just you're just noise in the background. Yeah. But on Midwest you're actually part of the community. And you know, like you know, you talk, you talk about things like uh, you know, if Jerry decided to make um, some sort of spud dinner yeah. for, for the show and he'd just go across to Bridie's house across the road. Really, genuinely, we'd go across to Bridie. Oh, you, Bridie, can we use your cooker for a while? Come in, lads! And we'd go in the next morning. This is all during lockdown. We'd go in the next morning and I'd say to Jerry, you know the spud you made in the microwave there? It has 500,000 views. Yeah, and yeah. we'd be blown away by this. Yeah. It was such a good time. It was amazing. I, I mean, you know, I don't know how well I would have done in lockdown if I didn't have the job. You know, sometimes... That's it, true, too. It became, it became an essential... It gave me a purpose to get out of bed in the morning. I could have easily put back on lots of weight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or... or I don't know where I would have been without the radio at that stage because it gave me a purpose to get up every morning. You know, so often we give out about our jobs and four o'clock and starts and all that. But sometimes, actually, you need the job more than the job needs you sometimes. And I think that's really important. And that led me in lockdown into doing what we're doing at this moment is doing the podcast as well, which is that became like a totally different um, 
it's a, it's like radio and podcasting are very very different. They're, would you agree that they're completely they're completely different because I think you have a little bit more freedom on the podcast and on the radio. Like you know, you've only. 60 seconds or 90 seconds between two songs you yeah. can't really express yourself and get into the nitty gritty and sometimes I go on my social media and I say something terrible is after happening to me in the last week or two but I'm not going to tell you what it is now on Instagram Yeah, because I can't explain it to you in 90 seconds like even if I have a skin problem I had dermatitis on my skin or whatever and people were slagging me oh look at your man off getting a facial at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday <laughs> the last place I wanted to be was getting a facial yeah. on a Tuesday but I was trying to fight this dermatitis I had and that's yeah. that's the beauty about podcasts like we wouldn't be able to talk about your anxiety no, no. on the breakfast show no Jesus not a place for it no. people would be saying you know we'll turn that fell off will you fucking play Bruce Springsteen and <laughs> shut up <laughs> you know Oh, congratulations, Brendan, on your 25 years. My name is David. <laughs> <laughs> not Dave, David. Oh, you don't like when people call oh, you Dave? Oh, no, no, not a fan of the Dave. I love, I'm loving this chat and I hope people are enjoying it as much as we are because we're two radio heads talking about radio and, yeah. I, and I hope it's interesting for people that don't know. Yeah. But it's, I love the behind the scenes stuff that people don't know about. I love the chaos mm. and I love, like there was one morning I was filling in for you. <laughs> and... Here it was, here it was, right. So I worked in Midwest years ago and I did the weekend breakfast show for, for a couple of months. Or, yeah, I remember that, yeah. And do you know what it was at the time? Chris Carroll came along and he says, we're going to get some young fella in Castlebar and he's going to be great and we're going to get a load of advertisers in Castlebar and everything will be mighty. So this young fella who was DJing a mantra at the same time was oh. going doing the six o'clock or seven o'clock breakfast show on Saturday morning and it didn't work out, let's just say. Yeah, no, it doesn't work it out. It didn't work out. So I was doing it for a few months. So I had done them a few months and then I had left and I had gone on to do other things and then went through other radio stations and then 10 years later, I think I came back to Midwest. But then I was filling in for you one morning and you are in the Castle Bar studio mm-hmm. and I had never been really in the Castle Bar studio so I remember on the Friday I went in and got the crash course on the Friday with you and you showed me how to use the Castle Bar studio then the Monday morning came I remember this and the phone ringing and the phone ringing and the phone ringing Alan where are you? <laughs> well fuck it I'm only after waking up David where are you? Oh, I'm in the studio in Castlebar. Oh, was I in at that stage? I can't. Well, or was I on the? I probably you was were on the on way. On the way in, or somebody had <laughs> rang you anyway. And I said, "Oh well, fuck it. I've slept in, David. Oh my god." And then I came in here to the studio in Castlebar, which is five minutes from my house, ten minutes from your house. And on your first day off that week, <laughs> you sat there in the corner of, of of your own fucking studio, <laughs> of your own breakfast show, watching me doing the whole show for that yeah, morning. You did fabulous. And you? I never felt like a bigger prick since. <laughs> never. I'm here covering for you, giving you a day off, giving you a, a, a good deserved lie-in, and you're sitting there in the corner watching me pushing the buttons for the whole morning. But you know what? For for me, it's like a busman's holiday because I don't have to push the buttons. Ah, it was Isn't shocking. Right? It was shocking, and I've never recovered from that. I feel so bad about that. Ah, we stop it. it. I always say, you know, nobody in the end of the day really cares because it's the old days. It was there was nothing on the radio at night. We went off at one. We started at seven. Now there's music. So in worst came to the worst, the music was still play yeah, and people won't notice and there'd be the other time where a connection wouldn't happen for me so they might hear two songs in a row and they go oh your man has slept in yeah, and I go no it's, there's something here that's technically not working for me but um, yeah no I, I, look at that can't happen to anybody was there a story of a breakfast show presenter sleep, going to sleep in the chair one morning yeah well, yeah 
There was, yeah. What, what, ha- what happened there? Me. We won't mention any names. No, put on a long song and uh, fell asleep. Put on something like the Eagles or something and fell fast asleep. Seven minutes long. Yeah, and woke up with just a bit of silence going. You, you know, the silence woke him up. He was like, why is everything so silent? <laughs> <laughs> that same person. People won't know this. And again, this is behind the scenes. But before we get our news at seven and eight... Yeah, we get a countdown of a sixty-second countdown. So, so it could, because and that your news happens exactly when it's supposed to happen. So it comes down via satellite. Yeah. So the next it goes uh, sixty seconds to broadcast, and it'll count you down. And this particular person, who if they were working the night before, used to stay in the studio, <laughs> and they would leave that on, and they would be fast asleep, and then they would hear sixty seconds to broadcast, and they go up, up, get up. <laughs> yeah. So he'd sit in the chair with the. <laughs> With the, the, with the fader a fader listening the P fade well yeah. P fade listen and listening and then 60 seconds ah! that was and his alarm clock that was the alarm clock rolling and do that yeah I, could, I wouldn't be able to speak for the first 40 minutes the <sighs> biggest compliment I've ever been told in my whole career of radio is you're brilliant at the death notices oh yeah 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 and <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know our bosses have to get you kicking and screaming into the studio to read the death notices yeah yeah uh, I find it I find it one of the most intimidating things mm. you could ever do in your life because you have 20 families in your hand that are grieving and all they want to do is hear their loved one's name and village and townland read out on the radio and let their friends and family know and then this bollocks comes on and he goes it's not Gertha Ganey it's Gertha Fanny <laughs> And whatever it is, there was one. There was one morning I said, "Bacon." Yeah, uh, you said beacon instead I of said, bacon. So it's B E K A N. That's how it's spelled. Yeah, B E K A N. That's how it's spelled. Beacon. So I came on the radio one morning saying something happened in in Beacon. Yeah. And oh my God, yeah. you'd swear I shot someone. It's bacon. It's yeah. bacon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, um, I haven't done or read them out since two thousand and three. So 20 years I haven't read them out because I and I used to read them all the time not a bother because you, you know they're you have to they're words mm. and you have to look at them as words you can't look at them as what they are it's the scariest most intimidating thing I've ever done yeah. in my life and my dad's best friend was in them and I was conscious that I was coming towards him and suddenly they went from being words to being people and suddenly I found my voice changing the breath shortening and I went, I'm just going to get through this and I will never do it again. And I never did. Yeah. I never did. No, because I, I didn't have the voice for it anyway. You know, the, the happy fucker in the morning. People don't realise, people don't realise behind the scenes. They just, they just take these things for granted. There's the news, there's the weather, there's the deaths, but they don't understand the anxiety or the yeah. real people behind them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, radio is live. It's all live. There's no, we, no pre-recorded. We do everything live. So you just I, have to get on with it, which is different than a podcast because a podcast is pre-recorded. During lockdown, I was doing farming scene. Oh, you did? I uh, got roasted for saying uh, weanlings. Well, there's one fella that drives around Castlebar until this day. I'd say it's three years since I said weanlings. Yeah. And any time I meet him, he shouts out the window at me, Wanlings! (laughs) (laughs) They're Wanlings! Or Yo. Yo Uh, was another one. Yo. A a sheep. Yo. Yeah, yeah, you will get caught. There's a lot of that. There's, the education goes on. I'm 25 years and something could crop up on the screen in front of me now and I go, oh, I, I don't know what that is or how to pronounce it. I haven't a clue. But it, it was a real proud moment for me when this lady, she lives out my road and she says to me, you know, you're brilliant at the debts. And that was like, that was honestly probably 
the, like I had won a bronze radio award with Galway Bay FM and I thought that was the fucking the shit. highlight. <laughs> but then do you know what? When I when I when I sat back and I realised, you know, this there's this woman in my community that I've great respect for. When she turns around and she goes, You're lovely at reading the debts, I thought, isn't that that's the pinnacle of my career in radio exactly. that I have what? somebody has enjoyed me reading the debt notices. Do well, you do you have any stories of complete carnage behind the scenes that no one knows about? Ooh. Um I have a story uh, of once uh, there was a presenter with me who went out during actually I think it was during the death notice went out and went to the bathroom and the death notice had finished and I was I think I was <laughs> very new I was reading them and I was on the wrong side of the desk so I wasn't near the, the technical stuff to start right, hang on so you're you're the other side of the desk yeah I'm I'm the other side of the desk so I, there's, there's I, nothing on the other side no the, all, all the, the equipment and to move to your ad break is where he was and he went to the bathroom so I have a microphone mm-hmm and I finished the death notices and he's not back. Right? Oh, I understand now. And um, So you're standing in front of a microphone yeah. with no buttons. Yeah. And you're finished your job. And I have to keep just saying something. So at the end of the deaths, you say our thoughts and prayers are with the family, blah, blah, rest in peace. I made up a prayer. <laughs> what? I made up a bit of a prayer. I went with what I thought was right. And it wasn't right. It was completely wrong. I was just trying to pad out it out. Can we just break this down here for a second? Because this is this is the best story I've ever heard. So you're reading the deaths and you're getting towards the end of them. Yeah, go and on. In, and in your he's, head, he's not back. He's in not your back. head, you're saying, right, I've one death left. Yeah, he's not back. He's not back here yet. <laughs> what am I going to do after I read out this bridey Omeriku? The death has occurred of. Yeah. And that's it going on in your head the yeah. whole time. And as I'm making up this new prayer, I can hear... <laughs> I can hear the thuds of the guy running, right? <laughs> Runs by me as I've gone completely puce red because I know. So what's the prayer? You're there, Sarah, going to the, the souls of the faith yeah, and the... Yeah, extending that. And the angels all be merciful. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he's going... So what, well, the worst thing that happens is, of course, because he, so he sits down... And because he's after running like, quicker than Usain Bolt, he's out of breath. So when he starts reading, it sounds like he's laughing at me. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 No. There was, I think there was, there was three or four days there now where we had to stay very quiet. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Was there a lot of complaints? Yeah, very, very unhappy about that. Very um, That I was being disrespectful and worse, he was laughing at me. Uh, and which wasn't the, the reality at all. It was totally, you know, it was it was one of those things that just happened. And did they understand? Did your bosses understand? Like, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Did you ever get in bother, bother? Oh, dude. I got in bother one morning. Um, we were talking about the price of coffee. Oh. And I had said to my co-presenter, "Guess how much this coffee was?" And I held it up. Oh yeah. And I said it was the time the price of coffee beans went up. And I, I said, he said, "How much?" And I said, "It's four twenty." And he goes, and the name of the brand was Frank and Honest. Oh, yeah. And he goes, well, it's Frank, but I can tell you it's dishonest. <gasps> and at nine o'clock that morning. You were dragged in. We come out of the studio. <laughs> uh, it's a great show. Great show. Great show, everyone. Well done. All the suits lined up in reception. Oh, you're joking. Up, upstairs. <sighs> we were, they were trying to get us sacked. Oh. And rightly so. Hmm. Rightly so. Defamation. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. We said, 
you know and we had to fight for and beg for our job yeah. we begged we said we'd go around to every centre in the county <laughs> and we'd drink coffee and we'd fucking wear Frank and Honest shirts and t-shirts I'd paint the car Frank and Honest I'd say I'm the most honest person there ever was yeah. and we had to fight for our yeah. job yeah um no, I, I, I don't I think since the day I've been in we've, we've been very very aware of who pays our wages and what pays our wages so I, I don't know if I've, I've probably yeah you have to be very careful on that you, that you don't insult yeah. That's, yeah that's probably one I haven't thought about really too much there has been other situations where I have said the wrong thing and you do get a lot of kickback from it and I'm not I'm not great at the kickback I'm, I'm not I'm not good at taking the kickback I will take the kickback home with me and I will live with the kickback for quite a while uh, and I'll blame myself for it. But um, There was one morning I was reading the weather and instead of saying scattered showers, I said scours. Yeah, yeah, scattered scours. Scours, <laughs> yeah. I did play, uh, oh, I did play a song not that long ago, actually. You know, modern songs have all the wrong, you know, you have to look for the radio edit. Yeah. And I had mentioned, we have to look for... Uh, WAP. Uh, well, it wasn't It wasn't quite as bad as WAP now. <laughs> But uh, it did, but and I was absolutely puce. Um, and then I realised that actually, you, you know, I, I think one person heard it, and but nobody else. Or, or if they did hear it, they just went ha. But you know, I always say about you know, you know, if you like the song that you hear on the radio with us, a new pop song that's out, if you like it, uh, just be very careful if you're downloading it for your kids, because the version we play is very different. Olivia Rodrigo, Olivia, lo- think she's brilliant. But mother of God, you can trap some of the fucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. There's um, no need for them. There's, there's no need for them at all. Yeah, we used to say back... At, um, they, they, they say now that, you know, the... Um, I think the, the amount of sex in songs has dropped by 80%. Have you heard this? No. So these days, all new music, like used to always about love and I want to make love to you and you're like... All that I want to make love to you in the hen house, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, now that's kind of gone. They've got rid of because young people don't are not interested in that. But I said they're gone. Way more interested in the bad language because every song comes out and you go, "Are you sure?" I mean, I would listen to it and go, hmm. "No, I don't know." Definitely, Sam Fender. Why? So we like you see clean version. You see, it's very gift. Yeah, and some of the feels. songs you're playing then just have gaps in them because they don't replace the word. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, they do know, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They t- just, just whap it out. They just whap it out. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, really interesting that 20 years ago when there'd be an outside broadcast so you'd come to Castle Bar and do an outside broadcast and it was like like you said you were the biggest celebrity there'd yeah. be hundreds of people there for the broadcast you, Well I, 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 the first outside broadcast I did as a breakfast show presenter on a breakfast show was uh, about four months ago um, Wow Oh no, no maybe a year ago Yeah it was the first time our, my breakfast show ever went out on the road and I have a funny story about that because we were opening a wonderful store in Ballona and it was a beautiful morning and everything was great and we were parked there and at 10 to 7 I was all me jolly self and, isn't it great look at me I'm, I'm loud out it's fabulous and uh, we'd set up and we'd all and the next thing bing, 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 on the window <laughs> and the angriest man in the world I was like good morning how are you thanks how are you doing how are you keeping you turn that shit down. <laughs> I said, sorry? So, so, you want to hear what? You turn that shit down. <laughs> so the speakers were outside the outside broadcast yeah. unit. Mm. Blaring, wake mm. me up before you go, go. And he was fast yeah, asleep in his bed. And you're here opening up uh, a new store. Yeah, and he's in the, the pyjamas and all. I'm like, oh, jeez, he's not. I said, well, you're good. turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. Yeah, him ripping. Yeah, ripping, ripping. But but I had done other outside broadcasts, but no, like in the in the first days, I remember when we got the the first mobile unit, which would have been actually not, I think it was ninety eight or close enough to that, and 
I remember the crowds that turned out to see our, the new satellite cruiser was just phenomenal. Yeah. Now, that's changed over the years. Now you're pretty much getting in their way sometimes. <laughs> you're like, look at these fellas, will you get out of my way? Yeah. But back then it was, it was a big event for the town. You know, any town. When you went to towns and villages, it was a big event. People used to come out and say hello to you. And it was, it was lovely. It was a real lovely thing. Yeah, it still is a big event for Midwest, thank God. Yeah. Not, not so much for other stations where they're just kind of there in the corner with a table now and a few, yeah. a few balloons. And, yeah, you know. no, it's, it's an important... Um, you know, we always say about uh, it's your only chance to meet one-to-one the, the, the punter. Yeah. So uh, you, you should always look your best, be in your best form and do your best. Because that's the only time they, the rest of the, you know, cause if, if we walk down the street today, you now me and you, they'd all recognise you, but they wouldn't, nobody recognise me because I've been hidden behind a microphone for 25 years. You've never gone on to the social media side of things or no, not. I've started, I, I've, I'm open to that a lot more now. I'm open to it. I mean, I think, uh, I think my sister-in-law is responsible for opening my brain to social media a bit more. Your sister-in-law is Sarah Butler. Yeah, Sarah Butler. So a lot of people in, 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 in social media terms will know who Sarah Butler is. Sarah yeah. started her, she loves it when I say her journey, right? She loves that. Yeah, so oh te- yeah, my te- journey. Te- for people who don't know, tell us about Sarah. Right, okay. So Sarah uh, is, a, is a sister of Jane, who I'm married to. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's also a very close friends so uh, we get on very well so Sarah was uh, again the family that I married into and I mean this really lovely and positively sometimes you just have to hold on to the coattails because <laughs> they're going and you just have to go with them and uh, honestly since I've been doing 25 years of radio I'm married to a woman who was in insurance then she was an auctioneer then she worked as a beautician and now she's a very successful reflexologist and brilliant she's her own business and that's but she, she, sometimes I just get the I'm doing this now and I'm doing this tomorrow and we're doing this and we're moving here and we've done that. So you just have to go with it. So Sarah was doing, um, she was designing. She was a designer of like wedding stationery, websites, car vehicles, all that kind of stuff. But she loved cooking. So started cooking. Yeah. And started sharing her cooking with uh, Instagram. And I remember like, you know, sitting with her in the car, 200 followers, 1,000 followers, 2,000 followers. Yeah. And then the balloons would come in. Balloons would come in. Yeah. yeah. And she continued to be herself, to cook, to do what she believes in, still does to this day. Audience starts increasing. She releases a book. Book is fabulous. I say to her, (laughs) again, uh, I come back to holding on to the coattails. I say to her, you know, you should think about doing a podcast, you know, because it gets you out there and it's a different form. You know, people like podcasts these days and it's a different form of entertainment and shows a different side to you. Yeah. You know, I always say, like, if you want the fellow who's pretending or the fellow who's acting, you listen to me on the radio. But if you want the real me, you go to the podcast. But, um, she, and you know, I said, we could talk about what we could talk about. And she was like, can we do it now? <laughs> I go, what, what? Can we do it today? Hit record. Like, no, let's just do it now. Just start the record there now, like a good lad. And I think we're 64 episodes in. Wow. Now, we've slowed down. So this year, there's only been a handful, I think four or five, maybe, reflective on how busy that she is. Yeah, she's fantastic. So for people that don't know um, her page. Now, the thing about Sarah is... Her page is called Sarah Butler at Home Official. The thing about Sarah is, you kind of said there, you know, she just started cooking and she put up a few videos and then she got to 2,000 and now she's 130,000. <laughs> her very first video was just as professional as her last video. Yeah. That she shared last yeah. last night. Her professionalism mm. is second to none. Mm-hmm. And the time and effort she puts into all her work yeah. is second to none. I've, I, I know I've said this um, before. I would give her a script to read in radio terms which is not it's very different as you know and one takes done 
Yeah, yeah. Would you, what, what else do you want me to do? Yeah, she's so professional. It's just, it's bang, 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 bang. And it's, uh, but you, you do have to hold on sometimes and just go, okay, we, we're doing this, we're doing this today, we're doing this now. And the other thing that's really admirable about her is that she never changed. No. An awful lot of influencers and content creators will tr- try something for a few months and then yeah. they'll go from this, that, to the other. It, I'd say if somebody selling trees offered her 20 grand and said, here, will you promote our trees? Yeah, she'd no. say no. It's not like, unless she believes in the tree. Not unless you believe in the tree. And she's always she believes. And you know something about it, it, it? Her passion is for cooking. Yeah. And that is born out their whole family. I'm I'm married to one. It's it. That's what their passion to taste, to eat, to use the food that you buy, not to waste, to stop using simple product to make delicious food. Um, and as you know, at this stage, by the time this goes out, her third book is out there in the universe, and she's doing home comfort foods, and she is doing. Fabulous and a force of nature. And I w- I said to her, you know what? The thing about the, you know the, the thing about you or the, and the you. I said this to you as well. Alan. The thing about you is that it's just you, you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep setting the, the bar higher and higher and higher and higher. And I, as a person who's done twenty five years of a radio job, just admire that massively. I think I'd love that energy. I'd love that just that uh, ability to say. Uh, we're just going to go for this. There's nothing else. I have no fallback plan. This is it. And I, I think that's, I admire that about, uh, particularly well, in, in a town like Cashel Bar. Yeah. Well, well, with me, it's just, I have no choice but to keep going. So I don't know. Uh, but look, at if you're looking for a Christmas gift idea, check out Sarah Butler's new book. It's her third book. It's out now, Comfort Food, sarahbutleratthome.com. So pick that up. And don't um, forget our podcast. And don't forget to check out your podcast. Yeah, you, I don't. I appear in the photograph, but not in the name. It's the Sarah Butler at Home podcast. And when we're at it, sure, we'll have to give Jane a plug. Yeah. What What's the name of Jane's business? She's Jane's reflexologist. I think you'll find her. You'll find her on Instagram as well. Um, she has a, a, a an office at the house. Right. So a little cabin, built a little cabin at the side. Again, nothing to do with me, right? Absolutely. I came home, this fella's setting up a cabin. There's a crane in the back garden and, go, what, and you're like, oh what, Christ. What, what's, the, what's this for? <laughs> uh, it's just kind of at the end of lockdown. Are we building a little pub for me? No. A man uh, cave. This is, this is where I'm going to do my business from. And uh, has gone in there, has learned everything about it, has studied and studied and studied and studied. And is exactly, as I always say to her, you're exactly where you want to be. You set the target. This, And I go, ah, I'm happy now. She's doing what she wants to do. And then I go, probably next month. Are you know what I'm going to be now, pilot? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Thailand. Uh, to <laughs> Thailand kitchen you know, floors. I was talk- we were talking to neighbours of ours. And uh, the woman in the house was telling Jane that she does all the Thailand. Yeah. And I was saying, that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I feel absolutely fabulous if I could change a plug. <laughs> <laughs> if I change a light bulb, I feel like a man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I fixed the dishwasher. <laughs> what did you do with it? I pressed drain. <laughs> I turned it on and off again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, Isn't if, it really brave and admirable that a lady at Jane's stage in life, and I mean that in the nice way possible, can just say, no, I'm going to do something different now. Yeah. Because everyone gets into the same rut and... This is what I'm always talking to people about is they just get so safe and secure. But that comes with a lot of misery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Pe- people then are just, just saying, well, sure, I, can't, I couldn't leave this job. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's money at the end of the week. 25 years. And then you go back and you train yourself and teach yeah. yourself mm. a new career mm. and then open a business. And for it to be successful like that, that has to be commended. I have a funny story because she did come from an insurance background. She was a, a, worked in Hibernian Insurance in Dublin, was a team leader there, it became an auctioneer in Castlebar. And then when obviously the boom was gone, decided to become a beautician. And there was one stage when she was studying to be a beautician and she was at the course 
course, I, it might have been in Galway, whatever, and there was a number of them lined up and there was a woman doing a particular thing on a person at the top of the room, right? Was it wax and a fanny? It must have been something like that, right? <laughs> and and, and Jane, Jane said to herself, Jesus, how did I end up here? <laughs> I had to laugh. That's so funny. Twelve fannies all lined up down the room. I have, I have, I have suddenly realised I don't want to do this job. Where did you in? But always loved the benefits of reflexology, and uh, that's what she wanted to do. I mean, you know, I go, I, I couldn't do that job. People's feet, you joking me? Yeah. But does it, and it does Indian head massage, and does ear candling, that kind of stuff. But does it at her own pace, and the way she wants to, and she's built up a lovely clientele, and she works from mainly from home, the odd time out and about, and it has been a massive, a massive success for her, and I'm delighted because she's doing what she wants to do that's fantastic look at I've I've held up enough of your time I have held up your nap your Friday afternoon nap time yeah I think now the, you won't the, get a nap today now straight, as your man in Belmont said to you that day let's go straight to the pub <laughs> <laughs> there'll be some amount of road rage on the way home now today you'll be like a cunt going home <laughs> can, you, can you say that word on your podcast you can say whatever you want you can say whatever you want on your podcast David thanks a million for all your hard work over the last 25 years and, yeah. I, and I mean that and I'm not just blowing smoke up your are spoofing you because you are a, a pillar of the community and you're so important you're the first voice people hear in the morning in the west and northwest you know hundreds yeah. of thousands of people and you, I, I'm sure you don't appreciate that I'm sure you don't acknowledge no you don't let that in you don't let that in no but you are I'm still Schmoly Cawley from Lakeshire Drive yeah no you are so important and you're so easy to listen to because now in, in 2023 I think and I don't know if this is just me will people agree with me or not maybe let me know if, if you agree or not Radio is so hard to listen to. Mm. And it's like, Howie, uh, what's your favourite sandwich? Text me in 5151552. Did you ever have a ham in a sandwich? <laughs> and you're driving along going, would you just shut the car? Yeah, would yeah, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But you in the morning, you're just easy to listen to. You're relatable. The music's good. It's always upbeat. It's a bit of crack. Yeah. And a bit of banter with yourself and Michael D. A bit of banter with yourself and Tommy. I like when he comes in and calls... Cause he's good, yeah, good, good boy, good boy, at fifty years of age. Just keep good you, boy. keep you down there. I'm going to pat you on the top of the head there. Good, good boy. Do you know, it's uh, and you ma- you're making such a difference. I got a text the last day to say, you know, congrats on your 25 years. Now, would you play my old Schlego home? <laughs> 25 years. I don't think I've ever played my old Schlego home. I don't think so. Uh, you know, um, I th- I don't know. I think that's probably the legacy that I leave behind. They go. I used to play the odd country song, but very rarely. Do you have a favorite song of all time? <laughs> oh. If, if several I, the t- I have a top two that keeps sw- switching right if you were to die tomorrow yeah and we had to play a song at your funeral god forbid that never happens yeah uh, god only knows the beach boys do you know that? Do you know this? It's featured at the end of that really love. A actually, slow intro to that one is there? You know, it's like a bit jingle bells at the. Right. But it's the um, it's at the end of love. Actually, where they're at the airport and they're all welcoming each other back. But I loved it long before that. And the second one would be Wichita Linesman. Wichita Linesman. Glenn Campbell. Didn't see that coming. Biggest regret in my life. Biggest regret in my life was Glenn Campbell, and he wasn't well. Played in the Royal Theatre in Castlebar, and it was a Sunday night, Alan. It was a Sunday night. You sounded a bit like Porrick Flynn there. <laughs> Went to England, came home, made a lot of money, out of sorts. I met him. He's a Sligo man who went to England, made a lot of money, came back, didn't work out for him. He's not well and he's, he's out of sorts. He wasn't. He wasn't well. <laughs> he came to Castlebar and it was a Sunday night. Wow. So on a Sunday night I said, well, I can't go because it's a Sunday night. And I didn't go to see him. Oh, no. And honestly, his... 
his story and his music and his voice. I know I'm, I, I catch myself every now and then going, this is the fellow that liked acid jazz and house music yeah. and dance and Jamiroquai. I, I, I absolutely think he was just brilliant. And he, his Wichita Linesman is just a stunning song. It wasn't until I'd done my show in the TF a few weeks ago that I realised the names that have come there. Yeah. Like they've all, they have all the names yeah. framed around the cafe bar. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Campbell. They, they gave him a Johnny, bow run. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, yeah, Johnny Cash. I, I remember seeing Status Quo on the 9th of November yeah. 1990. There was more equipment than there was people. Mm. It was just mad. It's such a wonderful facility to have in the west of Ireland. Um, I've laughed in there. I've cried in there. I've been on my own in the Royal Theatre the odd time. When it, it's just... There's bands that you never... Uh, you never. What did you go? Snow Patrol. They played there yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, they did. And there's, a, there's another fella, some fella, he's from, he's from, he's from up past Snugborough. <laughs> he sold it out, I believe, and he sold it out again. I believe he was the first man to sell it out this year. <laughs> <laughs> and he's some fella, he's some fella from Ballina with him and all. And they're, they're, that fella with a beard. Yeah, that fella with a beard. I had played a clip from him on my radio show this morning because about the animal bars. Yeah. No, I played, it was a clean I bit. was going to say, my, my face lit up there when you said, I, I, you did well to find one without the cursing on it. It was about the animal bars being cancelled and he wasn't happy He's no, right. He's, he's right all the way. He's not happy. Will you last another 25 years no, to a breakfast show? No. It's, that question is asked a lot and I have the humour answer. I don't know if it'll last another 25 minutes. But I really, genuinely, honestly, I don't think so. But I, I will keep going as long as my mind and my body allow me to do the early mornings. You know, I have two children. They're the loves of my life. What ages are they? You see, there you go. One's in Leaving Cert and one's in second year. And as they start, and that journey is, seems to happen really quick. So once they start departing the nest, then I suppose I'll reflect on, is does it still suit me or, or what? Because as I cross that threshold of the five zero, I suppose I'm looking at probably if you want to make a leap or do something, um, that might be the final chance. Now saying that, I, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the job I have. I really am. I wouldn't stay in it if I wasn't. And um, I give out about the early mornings and I give out about this and I give out about that. But the reality is that I'm, I'm there. I love the people I work with. Really, I'm awful lucky. to. You know, we talk about Jerry Lennon and uh, people will probably won't know that since COVID, I've worked in a different studio than they'd work in, mm. than my main head office. Yeah. He rings me every day, 10 past nine, every morning. He'd yeah. ring me, check in every day. The odd text of the weekend, we check in because we're actually friends. And people find that amazing about it. Jerry know. Glennon is one of my favourite people of all time. And when I started in Midwest, I looked up to him. Jerry Glennon was my Jerry Ryan. Yeah. Do yeah. You know, I looked at Jerry Glennon the exact same way as I looked at Jerry Ryan. Yeah. And what I really love about Jerry and what people don't know behind the scenes is Jerry is a Nan Monaghan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. He, he treats you like a human. He doesn't talk to you. He doesn't think you're stupid. He doesn't treat you like you're stupid. You might be stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he won't. He won't talk to you like you're stupid. And he's so helpful. And he wants you to succeed because yeah. in this industry, there's a lot of people that don't want you to don't succeed. Don't want to succeed. Yeah. Well, we started. Myself and Angelina started the TV show. We did a country music TV, American country music. I mean, two people who knew nothing about American country music. But we did the show for two years. And on the first day, I was in front of a camera going, "I don't know where to look. I don't know what to say. I don't know what my chins are showing. I don't know anything." Yeah. And I said to Jerry, "Just give me the truth, warts and all." And he sat. He studied, and I went, "Oh, I'm in for a bollock in here now about something," and he just went. No, you know what? He said, it's all there. 
maybe look at bit this more, maybe look at her a bit more. Yeah. But it's there and I'd be very happy with that. And he's a very diplomatic way about him as well because I asked him about a song one day and I said, Jerry, do you think I could play this song? And rather than say, no, you can't play that song, he just goes, and I'll never forget it, it wouldn't be the done thing, Cockin. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to say anything else. And that was it. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> Eject. I won't, I won't bother playing that song. David, thank you so much indeed for oh, your time. Pleasure. I, I could chat to you, honestly now, I could chat to you for hours. Yeah, it's been a joy and a pleasure. And I, have, uh, I, like, see, I never talk about myself and I don't like it, but... I hope we can do it again. Oh, Jesus. Next week. Would you, <laughs> let's do it every Friday. I'd say there'll be demand for it now after listening to this. <laughs> never feels like work. I actually really, really enjoy it and I, I, as I said to you before I think sometimes the real me comes out in the podcast for example I had no intention of telling you about my first panic attack at 21 today but it's what happens on podcasts but it's going to help so many people well I hope it does no it definitely will I remember a woman saying to me once someday you'll talk about it and I was like no, I, don't, I don't think so I'll climb up my own arse before I'll do that Yeah. but uh, actually I think if, if somebody goes you know what I felt that too because like that I used to secretly see a woman uh, every Wednesday mm. I used to drive two hours from Galway <laughs> yeah. uh, secretly to go and see a woman and talk to her for an hour yeah. and I'd be exhausted yes. and then I'd have to drive home and go to sleep there you go and I never told anyone yeah, there and you now go. I have no problem telling people not either have I and I say the first thing to people in whatever form you're in or whatever is pulling at your heels or dragging you down or whatever you think you can't say and sometimes you can't say it to the person you love the most Yeah. sometimes it, it, it takes somebody else um, that's true you just have to put up the hand and say um, today and we I said this on the radio all the time you know I go today if you're not feeling it today if today's not your day if you're up there and you're listening to the, that happy head in them and you're thinking today is not your day you just give us a call just give us a text just we will acknowledge who you are and what's going on and we can point you in the right direction to somebody that might be able to just make life a tiny bit easier and if you can do that for people I think that is half the battle. But if you can do it for yourself, you know, I always say to people, um, they say, oh, she did a five five thousand year course in psychology, you know. And I go, well, do do you ever have a panic attack uh, and anxiety uh, or any of those disorders? No, no, don't understand that you have to have it to know what it's like Mm. to have empathy for people who have these type of things. And, you know, these days, the demand on our children and on our our minds, you know, I say this about my 13-year-old, 14-year-old son, because he's 14 in a week's time. I say to him, when I was 14, playing in Lakeshore Drive, climbing trees, making tree houses and building uh, huts and going out on the lake and telling my parents, no, we didn't go out on the lake. <laughs> I didn't know probably at that stage who the president of America was. I didn't know because mm. it didn't matter to me. I probably didn't know who the Taoiseach was. Mm. But our kids, the demand is there 24 hours a day at all times on them. I, you know, I've, I, you know I'll, I'll leave you with this one. And it's the reality of our phones. It's been how the phone can take over your life. Um, so I'm lucky that our children leave the phone on the kitchen table. They don't bring it to the rooms, you know. But when I get up in the morning at four o'clock and their phones are there, you could just flick over their phone and there could be 80 messages. There could be something else. and They could be coming in at that moment. Bleep, yeah. bleep, bleep. And I go, how can that be? At what stage are these kids allowed to just switch off their minds and sit and be with themselves? You know the way they come to you, Dad, I'm bored, I'm really bored. I go, that's the best thing I've heard all day. You shall remain bored for the next half an hour because being bored and allowing you to sit in your own comfort and be bored by yourself is a wonderful thing. David Cawley, it's very hard to find people that are so open and honest for this podcast. That's my hardest challenge. Ooh. And you've been very open and honest. 
and I really appreciate it. Good. When we finish up now, I have something I want to show you. It's, it's on my body. It's a kind of a sore thing. Oh, jeez, I'm no good at that now. Look at it there. <laughs> <laughs> you might be on to that. <laughs> so the next time you're up at seven o'clock in the morning, tune into Midwest Radio. David Cawley, he's on from seven till quarter to nine, then he goes home and he's gone then for the rest of the day and he's nothing else to do for the rest of the day. Nothing else, only eat. Only eat. Thanks a million, David. Bye. Keep her late. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Big News Coming Soon podcast is proudly sponsored by BRB Homes. BRB Homes is Ireland's number one award-winning manufacturer of factory-built homes. We take your home from start to finish. Our homes are A-rated and meet planning regulations. We build to your requirements and your budget. The cost includes your home being turnkey and our chartered engineer's fees. Please get in touch reviewing of our show homes, a brochure, or for more information. Let BRB Homes take the stress out of your build. Check out brbhomes.ie.